Man, listen, welcome to today's service where we are looking at the villain Scar and looking at a Bible villain as well, and I will share that in just a moment. Um, couple things, this is the second week of our series, and could we all just put our hands together in appreciation for Pastor Victoria and the message she brought last week? She did such a good job. Thank you, Pastor Victoria. And, and also, just uh, some exciting news in the church as well. Um, if you haven't heard, Pastor Rob and Marie uh, had their baby girl this past week. And so, Pastor Rob and Marie, if you're joining us online, congratulations on Evie, your new baby girl. And we're excited to meet her in person. Well, if you're wondering how old you are, The Lion King came out in theaters in 1994. So <laughs> you're like, oh my word, how has time gone by that fast? And obviously it's a movie taking place in the kingdom of lions in Africa. And it, the Lion King is telling the story of Simba, a young lion who is to seek, seed his father Mufasa. Mufasa was the one who died as king of the pride lands. Instead, Simba's uncle Scar kills Mufasa convinces Simba that he's responsible for his death, and he takes the throne. He spends, Simba spends his childhood growing up in the company of some outcasts, Timon and Pumbaa, and eventually he reconnects with his childhood friend Nala, and he eventually, through the help of a baboon named Rafiki, he comes back and challenges his uncle to take his place as the leader of the Pride Lands. What you have is uh, someone seeing the throne, someone desiring the throne, and making this attempt at which he was successful to kill the king and sees that, sees that seat. In 1994, when Lion King eventually left the theaters, it ended as the highest grossing film of 1994 and the second highest grossing film of all time, just behind Jurassic Park, which came out in 1993. Now, all of that as a background, you maybe are wondering through all your Bible stories that you know, all the historical accounts found in Scripture, wondering which villain are we going to talk about because there were a few. But today, our biblical villain is that of the name Absalom. You can find him in 2 Samuel chapters 13 through 19, and the the account of his attempt to overtake the throne, to become king, is found through those chapters. Now, let me give you a little bit of background of who he was and what he tried to do, because you may not be familiar with it. But Absalom was one of King David's sons, and so certainly you've heard about him. And uh, just a little bit of a spoiler alert, as he attempted to take over the throne, he was ultimately unsuccessful, and his, one of his brothers, Solomon, would later take over the throne. 
Absalom was the third son of King David by his wife, um, Micah. A couple things about him. And in some of his story that, that, uh, that are, play an important part of why he tried to overtake his dad. Why he tried to steal the throne from his father. One thing was that Absalom demanded justice, which in its own right would make you think that would make him a great king because he wouldn't let crime go unpunished. He would, you know, he would treat people according to what they've done. There would be justice, and he was feeling, um, he was feeling outraged toward his dad that his dad wasn't taking justice, even though he was the beneficiary, beneficiary of his dad's high grace. But though he demanded justice, his problem was that he sought out justice through his own hands. One part of his story is that he killed his brother, uh, he killed his brother Amnon, who had raped his sister Tamar. So his dad wasn't dealing with it, and so he killed his brother in cold blood to make sure that justice was served. Absalom was someone that blessed people, but he didn't bless people for themselves. He didn't bless people so they would be blessed or out of his generosity. He blessed people for his own good. And we read about him in scripture giving promises to people uh, and saying, when I'm King, here's what you can expect. Here's the generosity that will be at my hands. Here's the generosity that you'll be a recipient of. So when he got to that place of being a judge in Israel, having a place of authority, having a place of, of, of position and title, he began to set up a framework and make promises, getting people to desire him as king. And then Absalom sought leadership, which is in itself a, a positive thing. But again, he sought leadership in his own timing and according to his own plans, not according to the timings or the plans of God. If you've got your Bibles, would you open up to 2 Samuel chapter 15? And you can open up a digital copy on your phone, and uh, you can, if you've got the Bible app on your phone, go ahead and look it up. You can probably do a quick Google search of 2 Samuel chapter 15, NLT, and that will get you to where we're going to be. And we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 14. And this is the, the, the account that's written of when Absalom moved from from plot to plan. Here's, here's what's we're happening, and now it's time, let's do it. Second Samuel chapter 15, starting at verse number seven. After four years, Absalom said to the king, let me go to Hebron to offer a sacrifice to the Lord and fulfill a vow I made to him. For while you're Servant was at Geshur in Aram. I promised to sacrifice to the Lord in Hebron if he would bring me back to Jerusalem. Just to stop right there, all of that is a lie. All right, all of that is a lie. Verse number nine, all right, King David told him, go and fulfill your vow. So Absalom went to Hebron, but while he was there, 
He sent secret messengers to all the tribes of Israel to stir up a rebellion against the king. As soon as you hear the ram's horn, his message read, you are to say, Absalom has been crowned king in Hebron. So he took 200 men from Jerusalem with him as guests, and they knew nothing of his intentions. While Absalom was offering the sacrifices, he sent for Ahithophel, one of David's counselors who lived in Gilo. Soon many others joined Absalom, and the conspiracy gained momentum. A messenger soon arrived in Jerusalem to tell David, all Israel has joined Absalom in a conspiracy against you. Then we must flee at once or it will be too late, David urged his men. Hurry, if we get out of the city before Absalom arrives, both we and the city of Jerusalem will be spared from disaster. Stop right there. Here's David, who deeply loves his son, as you read in the earlier chapters, and you even read after this. He doesn't want to go to war against his son. He, he loves his people. He loves Jerusalem. He does not want it to, to go into war. So he just flees, knowing that his son is going to step into the capital city, the city of God. He's going to maintain, he's going to take over his palace, going to take over the temple. He's going to have control of the ark of God. David willingly with an open hand, let's go of everything to protect his men, to protect his city, to protect his son. Willingly gives up everything to protect those he loves and to honor the God he serves. Absalom, if you look at him, there are a lot of things about him that show that he would have made an excellent king but there's this big, big problem is that he lacks the inner character and control to become king. You've probably heard it said with, uh, you know, that um, with power, with great power comes great responsibility. You've heard that, that, that quote, that movie line. One of the things that we don't realize, and maybe you've never heard before, but that, that's taught the pastors is to make sure that you don't rise to a place of prominence that your character can't handle. That you don't get into a place of, of being known or leading others if internally your character is gonna have a collapse. Our focus is on the internal more than the external. Because you can become a great preacher, but never have, but, but have many secret sins. You can be a great leader, but lack self-control or kindness or any of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And it is a great, great concern to us that we don't do that. Absalom was very skilled. It says in scripture that he was, uh, you know, very good looking, but he didn't have personal integrity. He sinned, he relied on the advice of others, he, he didn't have the ability or the wisdom to evaluate his own decisions or the counsel he was receiving. He rejected 
the love of his father and instead pursued what he wanted for himself. One little thing right here that I just want to evaluate on ourselves. Because you're, you may one day be faced with, with maybe some questionable practices in order to get that promotion at your job. You may be faced with the decision to, to say some things or do some things that's gonna make um, a boss that you have get fired. And you're not completely wrong, but you're not completely right. It's a, this gray area that you can walk in in order to gain your place or get your promotion or get your pay raise. It will be a temptation that you will likely face at one point and even one that you've faced already. Here are three quick things. The recipe for the reprehensible. To betray your father, to betray your king, to betray maybe a boss or a leader in your life. What are three things that Absalom did that may pop up in your heart? First was pride. Absalom thought that he could rule the country better than his father. If I were king, crime wouldn't go unpunished. If I were king, if I were king, my dad's standing in the way of everything this country, this nation could be. Philippians 2 verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Second thing that he did, or the second uh, ingredient here is rebellion. Rebellion's different than disobedience. And, and so it, you're, if you're still living at home, I want you to hear this, all right? Because you're like, I don't disobey my parents, and so you think you're okay. Uh, but rebellion's different than that. And rebellion is honestly a much, uh, a much more dangerous thing than even just disobedience. When we disobey, we simply do not carry out what we're instructed. Hey, clean your room. No, I'm not gonna clean my room. Do your chores. Great idea. And you just don't do what you're asked to do. Rebellion, when we rebel, we purposely do the opposite of what we are told. This brings something to a whole different level. Sometimes we disobey God. Sometimes we rebel against God. God, what do your scriptures say? Oh, okay, now I know how I'm gonna spend my weekend. I'm gonna purposely go opposite to what you say. We act this way, we can act this way to our parents, to our employer, to our supervisor, to our God. 1 Samuel chapter 15, 23, says rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. Rebellion is a dangerous thing, a dangerous practice to begin to participate in. And the third ingredient here is revenge. No one's doing anything about this, so I'm going to. Romans 12, 19, dear friends, never take revenge. Why don't you underline that in your Bibles right now? 
Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge, I will pay them back, says the Lord. Never take revenge. If you allow pride, you allow rebellion, you allow revenge to grow in your heart, you will, you will hurt, way, hurt people, you will hurt the kingdom of God, you will act in ways that are unbelievably ungodly. Meanwhile, while people cheer for you and celebrate you and say, good for you. What must you practice instead of these three things or even to get these things removed from your life? Key word here is repentance. Acts 3.19 says, now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Repentance does not mean saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, God. Repentance means turning away from those actions, taking a different course. Maybe your life, you live in such, you're living in such a way that you, you want to follow God. You recognize that the actions you have in your life are, are sinful. And so you have this pattern of coming in on Sunday mornings, saying sorry to God, and then walking out and, and living the exact same way when you leave. Repentance means that when you walk out of these moments of confessing your sin before God, you make different decisions. You are choosing now and setting up safeguards in your life or you're gonna act and live and walk in a different way in order to keep yourselves from falling into those same temptations or those same sins. Now, the day of decision came and as Absalom, he took, oh, now he's got possession of the capital. There's only one thing left standing in his way. There's still a king alive. It can't be two kings. So if he is going to fully take over the throne, he's got to eliminate his dad. And so they go to war. David has a few hundred men. Absalom has an army of 20, 000, over 20,000 and they're going to battle. Absalom and his father, followers, they're set up in Gilead. David and his men, they're set up in another town. And on one side, Absalom's commanding in person. He's there at the battlefield ready to make it happen. On the other side, uh, Joab and two other men, they're leading the crew for David begging David not to be there. They need to protect his life and risk their lives to save his. One army relied on numbers. They are there in force. The other army, if you can call it that, they're relying on the Lord. Absalom was thirsting for David's blood. Once he's dead, I will have the throne. But David, on the other hand, was begging his men, please don't kill Absalom. Capture him, but don't kill him. And what happens is the story goes, Absalom, he's riding through, he's riding a mule during this battle, and he ends up getting his hair caught on a tree. 
His mule keeps going and he's stuck there with his hair tangled up in a tree and no way to get down. And in that process, Joab and the others find him. They don't listen to David, they're not taking a chance and they just spear him and kill him as he hung. There's a painting from 1762 of this event and I figured I'd share it with you. So here's Absalom stuck in the tree as they've executed him. We won't go on, David mourned heavily for many days. But this is the part I wanna focus in on as we kind of are, are coming here to an end. So we look at the story, we talked about just briefly the things internally that can happen in us. Pride, rebellion, revenge that can make us become an Absalom to the leaders in our life. But there's a bigger part here to look at. Jesus, he's our king. All right, and I need you to begin to flip this story of David and Absalom and even flip this story of Scar and Mufasa to a story of our king. Jesus is our king. So in these two stories, he's either David or Mufasa. And we're not Scar or Absalom in this story. We are the citizens of his kingdom. We're the, the, the female lions and the antelope and the elephants. We're the, the citizens of Jerusalem living our lives. But there's an Absalom, there's a Scar trying to get us to follow him instead of our king. Who is that Absalom in our life? What's well, a spiritual enemy, right? It's Satan. Trying to get in any way he can for, for us to remove our, uh, the allegiance of our hearts from Jesus to anything else. You begin to recognize the craftiness that he's, that he's maybe begun to work in your life or worked in, the friend, in your friends' lives. And you have to, I want you to ask yourself this question, church. Who will have your allegiance? Will Jesus be your king? Will he have your allegiance and your life? Will you follow him against any insurgency? Or will you allow your allegiance to move to something else. Revelation chapter 19 verses 13 and verse number 16 show us this picture of Jesus as a king. And it's talking about his return when there will be a day when he returns back to this earth. And it says Jesus wore a robe dipped in blood and his title was the word of God. And on his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. He is our king. He is the king of all places. He is the king that every king in every kingdom will bow to one day. He is that king. But the cry of others throughout history has been, hey, we'd like a different king. We see it in, you know, in the time of Samuel, 
that we talked about in our series, uh, The God We Created, just a couple, just a, you know, was that a month or two ago? Samuel had represented God's rule in a nation, but the people begin to say, we want a king, a physical king. We understand God's our king, but we'd like a physical king. We want to be like the nations around us. And then we see in the New Testament in John chapter 19, verse number 15, that Jesus is standing with Pontius Pilate. They're demanding for him to be executed. They yell away with him, away with him, crucify Jesus. And Pilate asks, what? Crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar. The leading priest shouted back. We have no king but Caesar. In that sermon series, The God I Created, we looked about at the reasons why we remove God as our king. I'm not gonna go back into that today, but I just want you to think this morning God's our king, our, our allegiance, our heart should be for our king. We're citizens of his kingdom, but yet recognize there is a plot, a deliberate plot over your life and my life to remove Jesus as your king. It's an everyday, subtle battle. Absalom did a few things that our enemy is still doing and working in our life. Absalom launched a PR campaign. He's making promises about how great it will be if he were the leader. And that is certainly nothing new for us. If I reject God, if I reject the Bible, I can pursue my lifestyles. I can pursue my pleasures. I can pursue my plans. And the whisper is, won't that be so great if I were your king? You could do whatever you wanted. It's this PR campaign, this whisper campaign going through culture He's irrelevant, he's not real, he doesn't really love you, it's a cult, it's, it, 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 it hurts more than it helps. It's this whisper campaign causing you to say, I always thought he was a good king, but maybe he's not so good. Absalom tricked 200 men into joining his cause. He invited 200 men of, of, David's, uh, of David's office to come with him and travel with him. So it looked like their allegiance was with him. And what happens is in our culture, you have so many people saying, I believe in Jesus, but yet they're not following him. I just do whatever I want. God's all right with that. Jesus, he's still king of my heart, and I do whatever I want. And convincing you that you can yield to scripture, ignore scripture, uh, not even believe scripture, and that somehow he's still your king. And you begin to, you begin to not follow him. He recruited David's advisors. 
So there are reverberations that happen within the kingdom of God when there'll be someone who's been a Christian pastor or a Christian worship leader or a songwriter, and then all of a sudden they come out on their Facebook page and they're like, hey, I know I was a Christian yesterday, today I'm not a Christian anymore, I reject the Bible and I reject Jesus and I'm not following him anymore. It's been a long process over these last number of years, but I'm not a Christian anymore. And they've been recruited to the other side and it causes you to question, wait a minute, should I, I looked up to this person, I worshiped with this person, I was taught by this person, but now they've rejected Jesus as their king, should, what do I believe? Is he my king or should I follow them and follow their new king? And then he amassed an army and he prepared to march on Jerusalem and certainly in different places in the world, it is a difficult and dangerous thing to be a Christian. And I'll tell you right now, you will face that. We faced it a couple years ago. If I come to church, I'll lose my paycheck. Sorry, church, I've got to go. You faced it already. You will face it again. There's an army coming against, there's an army with this new king. I just have a home, I just have a business. I'm, okay, I serve the new king, I don't really, but what choice do I have? I'm in the middle of Jerusalem. It's surrounded by this new king and all of his men, what do I do? You have a choice to make. I'm not gonna play that video because I'm running out of time. Listen, here's what happens at the end of that movie. Simba kills Scar. <laughs> he wins. Here's what I want you to know. Jesus is the king of all kings. And any battle that it looks like he lost today or any throne that it looks like he retreated from because he was afraid, he's not afraid. He's not fearful. He knows that scripture that I read about. He knows it's coming back. And all of these kings that you've aligned yourself to, pleasure, money, comfort, any sin, whatever you've said, that's my king now, guess what? That king will be bound to Jesus. Who has your allegiance? Who's gonna be your king? You following the David, you following Jesus. You're gonna follow Absalom, you're gonna follow Scar. You're gonna follow the enemy and all of his deceptions and all of his promises. Who are you gonna follow? You close your eyes, let me pray for you. Bands coming up at every location. And I just want us to really think, I want us to make a decision. Is Jesus your, your king or not? It's easy to be religious. It's easy to show up at church. But is he your king? Or is he not going to be? Are you going to be loyal to him? Or are you just going to do whatever is easy or whatever is popular? whatever your heart wants. Jesus, this morning, 
we're, we're faced with a decision. If we align ourselves to you, man, that's, a bad, that's bad news for us. It's going to cause us some pressure on us, some persecution. We're going to lose, we're going to lose some time. We're going to lose some money. We're going to lose some friends. We're going to lose uh, some pleasures. There's going to be some things. If we decide to lead, to, to be, to, for you to be our king, for our hearts to be um, pledged to you, we're going to lose out on so much. If Absalom is making all these promises and he's got the, he's got control of the temple now. He's got control of the, of the ark. He's got control of the city. What do I, what do I do? It seems like everybody's following him and maybe I should too. But if I follow you as my king, I could lose everything. Today, I make a decision and I pray everybody else in all of our churches and online makes the same decision. You have my heart, Jesus. You are my King, Jesus. No matter what people say about you, no matter what people whisper about you, no matter who joins the other side, Jesus, I am yours. You are my King. morning as you are in our services and you think I've never I've never told anybody I've never made a decision before to give my heart to Jesus to make him my king and you'd look at me or or even look look at your location pastor if you're in another location you say pastor Nate today I'm making that decision he's my king he's got my whole life today I'm deciding today I'm not playing around between two kingdoms he's my king and in this room, if you'll wave your hand at me and let me know that you're making that decision or you'll wave your hand at your location pastor or your location director, let them know you're making that decision. If that's you, wave your hand at me right now that I can see you, that you're making that decision. Anybody else? Can you put your hand down after you do that? Thank you for doing that. The King welcomes you. What we do in these moments is we pray a simple prayer. Jesus, I give you my heart. I follow you as my King. I ask you to forgive me for my sins. I ask you to be my Savior. And today, I choose to follow you. And that simple prayer changes your citizenship from earth to heaven, changes your past from from your sins to being forgiven, and it changes your future. He's coming and he's setting up a new kingdom and you will be a part of it. Will you stand at every location? Let's sing and worship our King together.